Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself to be a high value person? Now, I always thought I was until a relationship ended and I thought, how can they not see my value? And guess what? It was because I didn't see my value myself. And so I spent the next year only doing things to build up my self-esteem, my self-worth and my value in the world. Now, I know many people, this is a constant battle and you can see it when it's not reflected in their prices, how much they value themselves or not. So I'm really excited because today's guest is Morton Patterson, who is the Know Your Value guy. And he's going to be sharing with you how you can really embrace your value because when you do, guess what? Yes, others will value you too. Now, Morton has 25 years of experience as an international executive consultant. He's an NLP practitioner and a professional speaker. So I'm really excited to get into this series with myself, Elaine Powell, and you're listening to the Mind Speak podcast, where we talk all things about storytelling, presenting, and the business of speaking. Are you ready? Let's go. Elaine Powell here, keynote speaker, TEDx organizer, and public speaking coach. And you're listening to the Mind Speak podcast, where you can learn how to confidently share your voice, message, and story for income and impact. So if you could just take 10 seconds, hit the subscribe button, that would be much appreciated. Let's dive in. Morton, super excited to hear your inspiring story. How did you get to do what you're doing right now? Which obviously I know you as the know your value. I always put guy at the end. I know you always got that. I just call you know your value guy. But uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. And you're asking me about how did I really get here to be doing what I'm doing. Mm. And I think the best way of explaining it would be this way. I want you to, I grew up in the Caribbean in, in Guyana, um, where I was there with my mother and my sister and my dad. And we were living in a, what would actually be classed as a colonial house um, because my dad was a magistrate. Um, he was magistrate and a barrister. Uh, if you could do those things at those times. Um, and imagine one day we were there and my mom decided to make us lunch. So we're quite a few, you know, the house is quite high, high bit, several levels. And the kitchen was on the second floor. And that day the maid was not there. And so my mom said, she's going to make us lunch. And we went into the kitchen and my sister and I um, followed her, obviously. And I decided to sit on the worktop. I sat in a worktop and I later learned that she sat in a worktop as well. Anyway, I sat in a worktop and I decided while there that I was going to make myself comfortable. And she said to me, Morton, do not sit up there. But I don't know. I was excited. I'm I'm excited. Seven year old boy who listens to mom. Who does at that time? Anyway, as she said that, I decided to make myself more comfortable and sat against what I didn't realize was an open window and the window opened and I fell, I think when we look back at it, about 75 feet and fractured my skull. Wow. Okay. 
I recall, and it's really interesting, I recall this because as you're falling out, I could see my mother rushing to grab my feet, but it was too late. My sister later said that she looked out the window and she could see me almost like in an S position as I, I was laid out on the floor, on, on, on the car park there. From that moment on, I feel my life changed because my family and my friends and my, particularly my parents treated me very differently. In school, I was not expected to perform while my twin sister was expected to do well. And when we return to England, it's the same thing in secondary school. Nothing much is expected of me. And therefore, I think when you have a situation where nothing much is expected of you, you don't do much yourself anyway. And I think from school, I ambled from school into college and then just went into the, to decided that I wanted to work. All along, my sister was studying and assiduously keeping to her books. And really, one of the most defining moments that started to make me aware was when my sister graduated with her master's and we had a family celebration. I felt, I think the word that comes up, I felt like crap. And they are there celebrating her, but the elephant in the room is me. Because nobody's saying anything. I come from an academic family where everybody has studied. The elephant in the room is me because Morton hasn't done anything with his life. And that became the catalyst for change. And I think when I look back at my life, it became the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is helping people to clearly understand their value. I, at that time in my life, didn't value myself. I didn't feel I was tech clever. I didn't feel I was intelligent. I didn't feel worthy. I had a really low self-esteem at the time. And so my confidence and my own abilities was really not there. I decided to study because that was the catalyst. I decided I went and did my degree. And I must admit that I remember while doing my degree, it was the first time I consciously remember feeling that I was actually clever because all along I didn't think I was. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I never actually thought I was clever because you grow up being told that you're not really clever. You're seeing other people perform, but nothing is expected of you. So I studied and I did a degree in business and IT. And fortunately after that, I gained a position at Ernst & Young in their IT division and then worked up to being a consultant. But however, all along, I was doing this, but really not feeling great about me or having much confidence of people, really being afraid personally and professionally in my personal, in my relationships with people. But I was competently good. However, while working, I had a dream. I wanted to, to do something. I wanted to start a business. Unfortunately, or I would say fortuitously, I went to America and while driving one day in America, I was listening to an audiobook. Of all these, it was interesting because I love books and I love reading. But this is interesting. An idea popped into my head. What if you did this in England? <laughs> but actually, black books. I remember exactly the junction I was at when that idea popped into my head. What if you did this? So I became excited. So I left, I was staying with my aunt at the time and came back to England and I wrote this thing down and this thing just became like something that I just could not shake. 
it was this thing that just took over me. And there was a very popular shop in Wigmore Street in London called the Talking Bookshop that I would go and visit. I'd buy audiobooks anyway. And every time I went in there, I would amble in, looking around for any Black audio titles that existed. And one day, while in there, I mustered up the courage to ask the lady behind the counter, does anyone ever come in here asking for Black books? The Sidney Poitier, the Maya Angelou's, the Toni Morrison Song of Solomon. Does anyone ever come in here? She says, oh my God, people come in here all the time. I, I wish somebody would think of selling them because I think there's a market. My God, that was like music to my ears. For this is a sign, Elaine. This mm-hmm. is a sign. I left that shop walking on air because I was still working, but feeling that this is a sign that I must do this. I went home and I phoned up the major publishers in New York because they were the publisher of um, Sidney Poitier's um, um, Something of a Man. Can't remember the title. They're the publishers of all of, of Mayor Angela's books and Toni Morrison and other black titles like Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. I called them up. And in those days, you could call up and make an appointment. I called them up and said, I'd like to come and see you. Okay. I jumped on a plane, took some time off work, jumped on a plane. I went to see some of the major publishers, Random House, um, Penguin, HarperCollins, CD executives out there. The idea was still there. And I think that I'm a kind of a person who is a visionary, but actually there are certain things about me that was still really, really important that I needed to develop. And one of them was self-confidence and self-esteem. But I think that didn't really come to fruition in terms of my awareness until later. I went on a plane. I went to see them. They agreed to see me. And I remember one particular executive, can't remember which one of the publishing houses says to me, why are you doing this business in England? Why not here? There's a bigger market. And that is a lesson I'm going to talk about business later, about going to where the customers are as opposed to where you think they should be. I said, oh, my family's here. And the fact that the customer base here was small didn't really occur to me the importance of it then, but actually in the importance of it now, which is what I talk to businesses about now. Yeah. I left New York, came back here, and I was so excited. I just could not shift this idea. Left New York came back here, and shortly after, resigned from my job after remortgaging my house and just doing it. I had no security, didn't really know business. <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to do this, you know. And it's sometimes really important when you're talking to people and they've got an idea, there's a difference between having the dream and having the things in place to make that dream a reality, okay? Um, I launched Bookstop too. And I was pleased that Bookstop too was the very first, if the only, black audiobook business in this country that was launched. I think it was 2003, 2004, something like that. And we went for about six years. But there's one primary thing. You cannot educate a market. 
who does not realize that a product or a service exists when you do not have all of the resources to build their awareness of its existence. It's really important. I had to close that business and it was a painful lesson because I had risked so much and in the process lost thousands of pounds trying to educate the market and trying to make a market aware as well as making money. Okay. That led me into recognizing one of the things that's become the thread in my life. As much as I'm a visionary, the challenge was selling, promoting, mixing with people, having the confidence to speak to people, having the confidence to negotiate money, to discuss with suppliers. And I was, I was very, very weak in that area. And part of it was because I didn't value myself and I didn't have the confidence to have those conversations. After Bookstalk closed, I went back into consulting, but realized that the primary problem that existed, even though I am a very good consultant today, the issue was around money and charging fees. I would go in front of a client and I would delay the conversation about money until the very last minute because I didn't want to talk about it. And when we did, I would undercharge because I'm thinking they're going to say no because I'm desperate for the work because I think anybody is a suitable client. This is the foundation of the work I do now. Yeah, many of your clients must be going through that very same thing. Exactly, yeah. This is the foundation of the work I do now, which is that whole thing around... I don't really feel comfortable having to do marketing. I don't feel comfortable doing sales. And it is because of the beliefs that we have inside of our system. So imagine this. I am now a consultant. And I'm going along recognizing that I'm on the charging and I'm actually sick with myself for this that I'm repeatedly doing and realizing that I have to do something about it. And the catalyst was this, I'm driving to a client one day and I am, don't know if you've ever felt this, Elaine, um, you're resentful with yourself for the fee that you're being charged or the fee that you're being paid, right? Knowing that you need to do the work, okay? Yeah, I was angry, not I was angry with them, but in actual fact, I was angry with me. Mm. So this is one Christmas, I'm going to see a client And I'm expecting to be paid and I do the work and I'm hoping and praying that somehow by osmosis, they're going to say, oh, here's your money. And that didn't happen. It was a dreary Christmas because by the time I finished that meeting, they didn't say to me, here's your money. They said, oh, we're going away on holiday. And that was the catalyst for me to say something needed to be done. I I was frustrated with myself and I realized it was because I didn't value myself enough to say, I'm doing a job. I'm very good at what I do. I deserve to be charged. I deserve to charge a fee that I feel comfortable with as well as I deserve to be paid what I'm worth. Most of all, I deserve to ask for it. I should have the courage to ask for it not to think that somebody just by generosity 
yeah, would give it to me. That was the catalyst where I started to seek help on how I could overcome that. And so I went to get some coaching around why is it I undercharge? How can I do better? I read numerous books, but I got quite a lot of coaching um, around my own limiting beliefs around not only money, but self-esteem, self-value, the relationships I was having. And I realized that through the coaching, how that thing around self-esteem and self-worth and self-confidence was a common stream throughout my life in all of my relationships. Because it came down to one thing, I didn't matter. They did. And I had to ask myself that question one day. If I mattered when I was getting coaching, it came up. If I mattered, what would I do? I'd ask for more money. I'd demand a different relationship with my customers and my clients if I mattered. So that then led me, after the coaching and the guidance, to creating the product and the service that I create to deliver today, which is a value program of helping people to clearly define and communicate the difference that they make. And in so doing, they can charge a fee because they're confident about themselves. They can charge a fee that is congruent with how they feel about themselves and the service that they're delivering. This is not about charging the biggest fee. This is about charging a fee that you feel within yourself resonates with the value that you feel that you are providing. And what happened is from that fall as a seven-year-old child, I realized that it impacted how I related to people. It impacted how I communicated with people. It impacted my self-esteem. It impacted my self-confidence. And that work that I eventually had to do and go away and do helped me to rebuild all of that. Wow. It's it's amazing that your story and that the fact that you've been able to go back and find that that significant thing that happened that had you not value yourself. And is that something that you help your clients work through or if it comes up, it comes up. Like, I'd love to know a bit more about how do you work with uh, your clients in, uh, you have your workshop, Know Your Value workshop at the moment. Mm. Actually, over the past year, actually for several years, I've been writing, writing about Know Your Value. And you could find loads of blogs on my website, mortonpatterson.com, um, about value. I also have a weekly newsletter that I send out. Um, around issues relating to value because it is not just personal. It's not just business. It's also personal. Yeah. An absence of value affect the boundaries that you hold with, in personal relationships. An absence of value means that you don't speak up. An absence of value means that when you're with your daughter or your children, you may let them get away with things because you think your child is better than you are or they're much more confident than you have ever been. So my work now is I help service professionals who lack the confidence and the belief in themselves about the value of their work, I help them to become more aware of that. So imagine they would go into a client's now because they could now tie in their experience with a greater sense of self-confidence 
and can align those two things together, they show up much differently. You know, it's like um, you turn up a lot more positively and confidently when you know you're being paid well. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I remember speaking to a friend the other day. Um, we were talking about a contract, and he said, "More. If they paid you three times as much, how would you show up?" Oh, I'd be, I'd be on point compared to when you know you're just getting by. Yeah. So that's the and thing. So that's the work I do. Yeah, that's the thing to show up as if you are being paid three times more, yeah. and like be that that person, and then you will get paid that amount eventually. You do. You do, but you have to believe in self. Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to hear um, from, you know, an example of one of the people that you've worked with in terms of, you know, at the beginning of your program, they were at this place. Obviously, you don't have to say their name if you don't want to. And uh, what did you help them do? What were the results? Because at the end of the day, most people want to know what are the results? What will I get out of um, not only knowing my value and owning it, but if they choose to maybe come on one of your programs. I think the ultimate result is a greater sense of self-confidence. Because with that, you will say yes, whereas you might have said no before. Let me explain. Mm. A young lady came on my recent Know Your Value, when I ran last year, my Know Your Value workshop. And she... Um, is a consultant because I work with consultants, coaches, trainers, people who are in the service, professional services profession. And she is a consultant um, in the care sector. Let's just say that. And before, when an opportunity presented itself, she said this to me and sent a, a testimony about that. When an opportunity presented itself, she'd find a reason not to submit the proposal she would undercharge. She was actually doing a contract with a local authority and the relationship was not one that she felt was favorable. Um, she felt frustrated that she wasn't really asserting herself or going for the opportunities that she knew she could deliver. So she's undercharging, she's turning down opportunities, she's accepting a relationship that she doesn't feel great about and feels that there's, later she feels that she doesn't believe in herself enough to step forward. At the end of the seven weeks, she had an opportunity, fortunately. And she said, Morton, because of this course, when it came, I went for it. Whereas before, I'd procrastinate, I'd, de- I'd, I'd delay submitting and my, putting my hat in the ring, so to speak. She said, I confidently did that. I also changed the relationship with my existing client because I was able to understand whether that was working for me or not. So the results for her, I would say, it's going to be ultimately greater revenue. But how she is showing up and how she is being, her confidence in her abilities and what she's delivering has been immense. It's been amazing. And so knowing your value, in my mind, isn't like the song, it's not an overnight thing. It is something that you grow into. I've been working with another client whom I think uh, we have been working on and on for about three or four years, on and on for about three or four years. And it isn't until recently that she actually 
increased her fees, even though I've been saying to her, you need to increase your fees because the work you're doing is high risk and your clients need to understand the risk you're taking with the job that you're doing. And they recognize how good you are at this. She said to me, when I submitted that proposal, my hands was trembling when I clicked the send button because it was beyond what I've ever asked before. Actually, there's a 100% increase in fees. It was a massive jump. But she said, as I did that, she said, I realized I was worth it. We were worth it. The business is worth it. What we were doing was worth it. So what I do is I give people confidence to believe and recognize the difference that their work is making. And so in that, internally, it gives you a sense of comfort that what you're asking for, how you're negotiating, how you're showing up, why shouldn't you? But I, I, I want to impress. This is not something that you wake up one morning, you go on a workshop, and then overnight, you know, you know your value. It is something that takes time. But you're moving closer and closer to how you want to be, where you want to be, and the way you want to interact with your clients. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. Well, uh, as we sort of come to the end, I, I kind of want to, to ask you a question somebody asked me today. And I thought it's such a great question. What would you tell the 20-year-old version of yourself, Morton? <laughs> Especially around value and, and, and in this area. Such a great question. See, it's about questions. <laughs> it's a great question. It is about questions. Um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of opportunities. Don't be afraid of experiences. Um, surround yourself with the right kind of people who can encourage you as opposed to those who have their own stuff and hold you back and you want to fit in. So therefore, you are afraid to lose them and therefore you stay with them and you stay small. If you have a dream, go for it and do the best you can to develop yourself. I believe personally, I'm just going to speak it from a male's point of view, you know, um, a man is nothing without reading. You can't grow unless you you commit yourself to learning and developing yourself because that's where, that's where the opportunities are. Um, don't be afraid. Invest in your own development. Surround yourself with the right people. And take responsibility for the decisions that you make and realize that every decision has an impact. At 20, I didn't even think that the word impact existed. <laughs> but it does. That's what I would do. Yeah, some very wise words there for uh, the person listening. Thank you so much, Morton. So how can, um, what's a couple of, two questions. What's next for you? And then how can people keep in touch with you? What's next for me is probably running a, a, a bigger value program because at the moment I'm running a seven-week program um, and I'd like it to be longer so that people get a greater opportunity to embed some of the learnings. So my seven-week program really introduces them to things that they could apply right away. But the next for me is a, a seven-month, or six, sorry, a six-month 
value program. Mm. I'm currently running um, a fortnightly value, Unleash Your Value podcast, which I really just want to open up the conversations around how much value impacts our lives in our personal lives and in our business life and what a difference it can make once we're aware of that. Um, sign up for my weekly memo. I write a memo every week on called the business of value, but it doesn't mean it's just business. It talks about stuff in relation to all things relating to value. I spoke about my, uh, my post recently was about my daughter, my grandfather, and she wrote about her experience of being a mother. And, you know, so it's called the business of value, but it's a memo that shares people's personal value experiences. I also wrote something around love languages and value. So, I have an article, a booklet, which I'm giving away to people. It's called um, Building a Highly Value Brand, just an introduction to learning about value. So you can learn about me by going to my website, mortonpatterson.com. You can learn about me by looking for me on LinkedIn. I write a lot of posts on LinkedIn. You can learn about me by going onto Twitter. Um, those three platforms I'm regularly on. Or you can contact me um, if you're happy to have a, a chat, and you know I'd be happy to do so. So, yeah. Fabulous. Well, it has been amazing having you on this interview series. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your incredible story, and how you really got to be self-aware of uh, how value was playing out throughout your whole life. And I think many times people aren't aware of where it starts from. And I think that's the deep work you do with yourself. Mm -hmm. And you most probably, because you've done that deep work with yourself, you do that with your clients. It's going to, it just, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, that's how, you know, you work. When you do that work, you do that work with other people. So I know that you create incredible results with uh, people you work with uh, to know their value, know right. their worth and to, yeah, step into their greatness and their value in the world. So thank you so much, Morton. Thank you for allowing me to pry into your life. And thank you for the golden nuggets you shared on this interview. Thank you very much for making me, um, inviting me to be a guest. I've really enjoyed this. It's been interesting and I've enjoyed it. So it's been really interesting to see myself go through this. So thank you. I've enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you, Morton. And thank you for listening. Tune in next time to another inspiring story. Take care. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Mind Speak podcast with myself, Elaine Powell, and special guest. I would love for you to share your thoughts around this podcast. Press the subscribe button, scroll down, and give it a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. That would be much appreciated. So until the next time, keep on amplifying your voice, message and story. Take care.